If you're ready for the word, open up your Bibles to the book of 1 Kings chapter 21. 1 Kings chapter 21. We're going to begin today with a little story. It's a short story, really. One of the particular characters that we're focusing on is a guy named Nabot. Nabot. And he's not talked about hardly anywhere else in Scripture um, other than these few verses and in this short little story that we see here in 1 Kings chapter 21. The other characters would be King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. And there's a lot of stuff in this little story that I want to unpack today. And I think this is a, a very timely message just for the season and the place that we're in right now with Christmas and the holidays and all those things. So let's go ahead and start reading and then we'll dig in. Verse 1. And it came to pass after these things that Nabat the Jezreelite had a vineyard which was in Jezreel, next to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. So Ahab spoke to Nabat, saying, Give me your vineyard, that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it is near next to my house. For, and for it I will give you a vineyard better than it. Or if it seems good to you, I will give you its worth in money. But Nabat said to Ahab, The Lord forbid that I should give the inheritance of my fathers to you. So Ahab went into his house sullen and displeased, because the word which Nabat the Jezreelite had spoken to him, for he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and would eat no food. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, Why is your spirit so sullen that you eat no food? And he said to her, Because I spoke to Nabat the Jezreelite, and I said to him, Give me your vineyard for money, or else if it pleases you, I'll give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. Let me pray one more time. Father, in Jesus' name, God, I just ask that you would anoint me today, Lord. Help me to just deliver this message in a way, God, that speaks your word accurately and, and conveys this in a way that comes forth and transforms lives. Lord, I cannot do anything apart from you. Let your anointing be upon me today in Jesus' name. Amen. So one of the things that I run into a lot, that I, in the process of pastoring people, you know, and, and sitting down and talking and understanding the things that people are dealing with and going through in life. And it's such a great honor and a privilege as a, as a pastor to uh, help people navigate through challenges and things that they deal with. And of course, as you do this for a while, you begin to see certain things that are very repetitious, certain things that you kind of, you see a lot of people dealing with it's a it's a common issue a common pattern and you know one of the things that I'll often recognize when we start kind of talking through details of things that are happening or, or where people are at in their struggles is that there are a lot of times when people are struggling with what I would call a spirit of discontentment a spirit of discontentment and meaning that they're they're lacking the contentment, they're lacking satisfaction, and they're searching for or hoping for or wanting for 
certain types of changes, certain types of things to come into their situation, maybe resources, maybe stuff, maybe relationships, whatever it might be. But there's this, and, and it's not that that in itself is wrong. We know that God gives us desires of our heart, that he wants us to pray for those things, that he wants us to pursue his will. So hear me, that is all a part of how we are to pursue God and his plan for our lives. But there is a point that if we're not careful, we can kind of drift over into, and it happens to, to a lot of people, where all of a sudden the want, the desire, the things that we maybe don't have or possess now that we're wanting or hoping for, the lack thereof starts to produce this feeling or this sense of discontentment in our spirit where much like the King Ahab in this story that we're going to talk about, we become sullen and displeased or discontent. In fact, if you're taking notes, the title of the message today is, Don't Go Ahab. <laughs> Don't Go Ahab. And look, if we're all honest, we would probably admit that on more than one occasion, we've went Ahab in our life. Somebody might be going Ahab right now. I don't know. So Ahab has this situation. He's the king. And as the king in Israel, he obviously possesses more wealth, more status, more influence than anyone else in the land. You know, if he wants to try to do something, wants to try to get something, for the most part, it's pretty much all at his fingertips. Everybody is taking the king's orders. He gives the word and makes it happen. So it seems. The king arrives at a point where he is very desperately desiring something that he does not have and ultimately, as we find out, that he can't get his hands on. There's this guy, Nabat, who it says he owns a vineyard. So if he had a vineyard, he probably had some servants. He certainly wasn't poor or you know, in need necessarily, but it doesn't appear from the little bit we gather in the Bible that this was a man of great stature. He was probably a quiet man living a humble life, you know, taking care of his own, his people, and that were his servants and his family, and, and, and provided for. And so Ahab sees this vineyard that Nabat has that's close to his property and close to his kingdom, and it says that he desires that because he wants to use it to make a vegetable garden. Now remember that because this sounds really silly, right? But many of the things that we begin to attach ourselves to that begin to compete for our desire and our heart and our affection, it, it's very possible that a lot of those things are just little vegetable gardens, actually, when you get right down to it. So Ahab comes to Nabat, and he says, hey, I want your vineyard. I want to use it to make a vegetable garden. It's close to my palace. I, I desire it. Uh, you know, basically name your price. I'll give you a vineyard better than the one you own. Uh, I'll pay you for it. If you want me to buy it, just name your price. Now think about this as Nabat, quiet man probably, modest means, this is perhaps that big check that could kind of cash in, right, and, and sit back on easy street from there on out. But for Nabat, he's facing a, a difficult challenge in that because 
ancient custom, according to the Mosaic law, said that you, as, a, as an Israelite, it was not permitted to sell or forfeit land permanently that you had inherited as part of your ancestral line. So let's compare the two people here for a second. Nabat, he obviously recognizes that, and he makes the decision that even though he could cash in, he could get that big check with a bunch of zeros and maybe just kind of go back to doing whatever he wanted to do and start a new life, whatever that might mean. There's a matter of conviction and a matter of principle that he's not willing to compromise in his character and in his integrity. And so his answer that he brings to Ahab is most certainly, no, sir, I will not sell you and I will not give you this vineyard I inherited from my ancestors, the Lord would not permit me to sell it to you no matter what your price. Now, most certainly Ahab was aware of this exact same custom and this exact same rule. This was very commonly known. And if they were to buy land and it wasn't received from ancestry, that was a different story. But knowing that this was an inheritance, he would have, he would have known most likely that he was already trying to get something that he wanted and he was approaching it by means that were, let's just say, a little speculative. He's already skirting and manipulating matters of integrity and character because, and here's one of the points I'm trying to, to really build on, is that there's this unhealthy desire for something now that he wants that when he can't have it, he's willing to try to do whatever he needs to do to try to lay his hands on this thing. He should have recognized right away, this isn't the Lord's will. The Lord doesn't permit this. But it says instead, whenever Nabat gave him his answer, that Ahab goes away, lays down on his bed, sullen and displeased, and can't eat. Huh. So let me ask you a question. If we're being honest today, have any of us ever been so disappointed, so let down, so discontent that we wanted something so bad and we just weren't getting it, we just couldn't have it, that it literally caused us to not be able to sleep or eat well or think about anything else, right? And that's the place that he finds himself in so much so that the queen Jezebel comes in and she's like what's wrong with you why are you acting this way why are you so sullen and displeased why is your countenance changed why is your head down you're the king of Israel why are you acting like this whoa this is a big question can I just say we're sons and daughters of Christ we're royalty we have inherited special blessings and promises we have all the things that God wants to give us but yet somehow some way sometimes we're going to find ourselves in or have places where we think we don't have something that we need and don't possess and it begins to cause us to have a sullen discontent spirit to the point where we begin to experience the, the manifestations of the symptoms that that begins to drive. I remember one time we were in, uh, Katie and I were, were going shopping for some clothes around Christmas time. Now, this is a few years back. And uh, we were in one of those discount stores. 
I forget. I think it was Nordstrom Rack or something like that. And uh, I found this shirt. Oh, it was this nice dress shirt on this rack. And it was like marked down to like $30. And so I pulled the shirt out and it's my size. And, and it's like $30. And it's a Hugo Boss shirt. And I'm like, oh, the Lord is with me today. <laughs> so I go in the dressing room. And I tried this thing on. And I mean, a shirt never looks so good on anybody ever. I was just like, oh, I got This is my shirt, you know. I come out, Katie, look at this thing. She's like, oh, that's a beautiful shirt. I'm like, I know. It's $30. She's like, well, get it. I'm like, all right. So we're checking out, you know. And the lady scans the shirt, and it rings up like $79.99. I'm like, oh, oh. <laughs> rescan that, please. <laughs> So she rescans it again. No, it's $79.99. So I looked at Katie and she looks back. She's like, don't be serious. I'm like, okay, all right. Uh, but ma'am, the shirt was on the rack. Uh, it's, I'm pretty sure it's, it's $30. She's like, I'm sorry, sir. I don't know what to tell you. Like the scanner's right. And it might've been on the wrong rack. People do that, but it's $79.99. I look back at Katie. She's like, no. I'm like, yeah, you're right. You're right. No. So I go back. I hang it up. We get in the car, we're leaving, and I'm just like. <laughs> She's like, what's wrong with you? Nothing. I'm fine. <laughs> right? She's like, it's over the shirt, isn't it? No. She's like, what's wrong with you? And it's like, as she said that, I kind of like snapped out of it at that point like I don't know what is wrong with me right I slipped into this place so easily and so quickly or I, I thought I wanted this shirt I wanted a shirt you know I wanted this thing so bad and then whenever I couldn't have it all of a sudden I began to feel some of these symptoms that Ahab is feeling where I was sullen displeased my heart was discontent and somehow I felt like I just lost something that I was supposed to have that was going to make me preach better on Sunday But it doesn't end there. And this is what can continue to happen if we allow a spirit of discontentment to settle in in our heart. Is that it can actually begin to eat at us, wear at us, begin to manipulate our thoughts and emotions and feelings to the point where we will eventually start to do things or pursue things in such a way that begins to compromise the word of God or the way that God would have us to conduct ourselves because the desire for the thing, the thing we think we need, begins to actually overtake us and get the best of us. And I want to read to you what happens if you continue on here, jumping down to verse 7. It says, And then Jezebel his wife said to him, you now exercise authority over Israel. Arise, eat food, and let your heart be cheerful. I'll get the vineyard of Nabat, the Jezreelite, for you. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name, sealed them with his seal, and sent the letters to the elders and the nobles who were dwelling in the city with Nabat. She wrote in the letter saying, Proclaim a feast and seat Nabat with high honor among the people. And seat two men, scoundrels, before him to bear witness against him, saying, You have blasphemed God and the king, and then take him out, stone him, that he may die. And that's what they do. 
We jump down to verse 16 after it happens. It says, so it was when Ahab heard Nabat was dead, Ahab got up, went down to take possession of the vineyard of Nabat, the Jezreelite. Picture him sitting there, sullen, displeased, overcome with the desire for this thing in an unhealthy way, willing to resort to manipulation, deception, and, and partner with his wife in this crime of murder to kill this man who said no to him of selling him his vineyard, which was right to begin with, has him killed, jumps up after he's dead and runs on down to take possession of this thing that he has wanted so badly. Look at the, at the length that they were willing to go to to get this thing which had got a hold of them in such an unhealthy way. Now look, I realize that this is an extreme act going as far as to murder. But look, folks, what I've learned about sin is that when sin is allowed to come forth and is birthed in someone's life, if it's not dealt with, it will only grow in its ferocity and in the way it begins to manifest itself in someone's life to the point where eventually at some stage along the way, if it wasn't dealt with, we will ask the question, how in the world did we get to here? How did it get this far? And, and, and this is what has happened. This thing has got a hold of them so bad. But look, are there times in our lives that if we're honest, perhaps we have went a little Ahab. Maybe we want a promotion at a job. Maybe we wanna be making more money. Maybe someone wants a relationship. They wanna be married and they're, they're single. Maybe someone is wanting to have children and they don't have children. Whatever it is, and, and all of those things, let me just suggest to you, if walked out and pursued properly can be very healthy things. These can actually be things that God can bless us with and that we can walk in and steward well in our lives for him. But the difference is, is are we walking it that way or do, have they actually began to own our heart? Have we began to attach our desires and our heart to these things and actually kind of disconnected them from actually being satisfied and content in having Christ and Christ alone? And so when these things come about, maybe people are wanting that promotion, wanting that higher income, wanting that relationship. Whenever someone else, here's a good test, when someone else gets those things, are we in a place where we can truly, genuinely celebrate for them? And I'm not talking about, you know, I'm not talking about, oh, I'm really happy for you. I'm so excited that that worked out. Yeah. That's not what I mean, right? This is how you can tell if you're struggling with that discontentment for yourself is when someone else gets what you're wanting, what you're hoping for, and you find it difficult to rejoice and celebrate with them for that. And I mean, I think sometimes we even go a step further. Maybe we don't resort to a manipulative scheme of murder, but maybe we'll start just cutting people down. They shouldn't have got that promotion. Did you see the way that they acted? Did you see the way that they were? I can't believe they got that over me. 
And we begin to slander. We begin to gossip. We begin to speak negativity out of our mouth. Why? Because if we really get down to the root of the thing, we're struggling with discontentment ourselves. We have an issue in our own heart that we are wanting something so much that it has become unhealthy and now we are doing things that if we're honest, we would never see ourselves doing that have compromised our walk, our integrity, and our character. Look, I get it. The struggle is real. I remember when Katie and I were first married and we were wanting to have kids. And I know you won't believe this, but we tried really hard and had a hard time in the beginning to do that. No joke. Um, and, and I think that the Lord really allowed us to go through some testing, but guys, I'm being real with you. Like I remember so many days, so many months walking in to my wife bawling and crying from another negative pregnancy test, having to just encourage her again, having to pick ourselves back up again. I remember so many of those moments and we got to a point where I'm like, honey, I don't think this is healthy. I mean, I want a baby too, I, I, we do, but this isn't, something's not right. This, is, this has become unhealthy. Like we've, it, it, we've attached ourselves to this desire so much that we're gonna allow it to determine our condition on whether it does or doesn't happen. We're gonna have to let this thing go. We're gonna have to give this thing to God fully. Whether it does or doesn't happen, we're gonna have to trust that God is our source. And we went through this, this and it wasn't like a one-time conversation. Like, this was a process. And praise God, you know, somewhere along the line, he worked on our heart. He changed kind of how we were looking at this and how we were approaching this to the point that I can honestly tell you that we got to, before we ever conceived a child, that we were in a place where if that didn't happen, that we were gonna be okay with it and God was gonna have a different plan. We believed in our heart completely that he had a plan for children for us but at the same time we we had to realize that no matter what we were we were not going to allow this desire to to rule our heart to get a hold of us and for us to live life discontent unhappy and unsatisfied and you know the end of the story we have six children now so god multiplied the harvest um no, but you know, it just, it was, it, was a, it was a beautiful story and a beautiful picture of trying to live God's plan in a discontent way. It doesn't work. It just, you experience all of this turmoil and all of these challenges, you know. We need to be able to celebrate with one another and rejoice with one another anytime God does anything worth praising and worth celebrating. The Bible says that anytime you see something praiseworthy, act on it, right? We need to do that. And if we're all torn up inside dealing with this discontentment, it makes it very, very difficult to do. It makes me think about the story of the, the pastor who had the businessman in his congregation who came to him one day and he had just went through financial bankruptcy and insolvency and he came to the pastor and he sat down and he was a wreck and he was in tears. He said, pastor, it's it. It's over. I've lost everything. I've lost everything. And so the pastor says to the man, he says, I'm so sorry to hear that, sir. I, I'm so sorry to hear uh, that you have lost your, your character. He says, no, no, I haven't lost my character. I've just, I've lost everything. He's like, I'm, I'm so sorry, sir, to hear that you've lost your faith. He's like, well, no, I still have my faith. I mean, I still believe in God and, you know, that's not changed. He's like, oh, I, I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry to hear you've lost your salvation. He's like, well, no, I haven't, I haven't lost my salvation, you know. He's like, oh, 
well, it seems to me, sir, by all accounts, that you actually have everything that really matters in life. And the businessman walked away, and his spirit had changed. His condition had changed. He started over. And, you know, I think about with the rich young ruler, when Jesus came to this man who said, Lord, what do I need to do to inherit the kingdom? And he said, well, you know, you need to obey the laws and you need to obey. And he says, well, I've done all that, and, but what else? And Jesus said, well, I'll tell you what you'll do. Because, you know, Jesus could see into the heart, right? He's the only, he could see into the heart of a man, so he knew what ailed this man. He said, I'll tell you what you need to do. You sell everything and give it away and come follow me. And the result of that man is that he walked away very displeased, very down, for he had many possessions. Now, the Lord will most likely not ask many of us, some perhaps, but to sell everything we own, give it away, and go do something different. That, that may or may not happen. But what I want to challenge you with is this question today. If he did, how would you answer? If he did, how would you answer? Because if things that we have accomplished, that we have possessed, that we've grown to accumulate, have got a hold of our heart in a way where we couldn't let them go and lay them down, if God asked us to for whatever reason, then I would just suggest to you that there is work that he needs to do in our heart because we need to hold everything loosely. We need to hold everything lightly and we must be in a point where as we walk in and as we live that we can be fully content, fully satisfied in any season and in any time by the relationship we have in Christ and who he is to us and what he is doing for us in the moment at any point. Paul makes this beautiful statement in the book of Philippians chapter 4. Before I go there, I want to just give you kind of the backdrop on this. He, he says these verses, but he's, he's writing them from a prison cell in Rome. This takes place, Philippians is one of several, they call prison epistles. Paul wrote them during his imprisonment towards the end of his life when he was in Rome awaiting trial. And uh, he was encountered by God around 37 to 40 AD, began his ministry. This book of Philippians is written in like 62, 63 AD. So this is 20-something years of ministry, kingdom work, church building, lesson learning that's now under Paul's belt as he writes these encouraging words to these leaders and these people at the church of Philippi whom he loved dearly. It was one of the first churches that Paul helped start all the way back in the book of Acts chapter 16, I believe, when he was in the early stages of his ministry and he's continued relationship with them. And this is what he says to them in chapter four, verses 11 through 13. And we'll just read 11 and 12 and pause for a second. He says, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am in to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and suffer need. So let's stop right there. He's saying something incredibly important. 
And then he says something right after this in verse 13, which we're going to read in a second, that's one of the most popular verses in all of Scripture that almost anybody can quote and recite if they've been to church one time. But these verses in 11 and 12 are significant. And this is kind of one of the things I was talking about when I said studying the Bible and breaking the Bible down. Look, chapter 4, verse 13, that verse in itself is a, is a whole powerful verse of truth that has encouraged me for years and years and years in, in the things that I've pursued for God. It's strengthened me. It's built up my spirit. That verse by itself is a verse of truth that we can use to change and transform our lives. But these verses right before it start to add another layer of revelation. They start to help you understand the context, the backdrop, and the other circumstances around this one verse of truth in verse 13. So in 11 and 12, he says this. He says, look, I have learned in all states, whether I have a lot or whether I have a little, whether I'm a base or whether I'm a bound, I have learned to be content, satisfied, fully complete and not unhappy or needing anything. I have everything that I need in Christ at any given moment. And then he goes on to say this in verse 13, for I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen, amen. But notice how that verse comes right off of the heels of these statements that Paul is making that says, look, I have learned, and no matter what condition I'm in, no matter what season I've been in in my life, I have learned over the years to abase or abound, to be content with much or be content with little. None of those circumstances have anything to do with the condition of contentment and satisfaction that I feel in my heart through the relationship that I have in Christ. And he, need you, and he wants them to be there. Now, perhaps the most encouraging for me part of this verse, part of this little nugget of truth right here is the term, I have learned. I have learned to abase or abound. 20-something years of shipwreck, suffering, prison, torture, beaten, on trial for crimes he didn't commit, snake-bitten, shipwrecked, over and over, all the things he's been through. And he's saying, look, I have learned through those years to, and I'm at the place I am now because I've learned through the years on how to get here. And this is so encouraging to me because let's be real. It is not in our natural human propensity to always be content no matter what the circumstances are in our lives. That's not normal for humans. That's not the natural tendency for our flesh and for who, who we are without Christ. But when he says, I have learned... He's saying that means that I have discovered a mystery. I have uncovered something previously unknown, impossible to gaze upon unless Christ has revealed it to me through his spirit. That's what he means when he says, I have learned. Praise God that that is the journey that we must be about as well. Say, God, I, help me to get there because I ain't getting there on my own. I know that. Help me, Lord, to get there, to learn and to see and, and be at that place, God, where I can say, I've learned to be content whether I'm abased or whether I'm abound, whether I have a lot or whether I have a little. 
and that to know that we have everything we need in Christ, that we are never actually lacking anything. Whatever Ahab thought that this vineyard that he was going to make into a vegetable garden was going to do for him was really just a manipulation, just a scheme, just a place that his discontentment had drove him to and he was willing to do something that he would have previously likely said at one point in his life was unspeakable and unthinkable to lay hold of something so little and so insignificant. But Paul's saying, look, if you can be content in all things, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Because folks, the reality is, is that we live in a world that is affected by seasons. There's going to be seasons of planting, seasons of watering, seasons of reaping. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 8, after the flood, God said to Noah, he said, as long as the earth remains, seed time and harvest, day and night, cold and heat, summer and winter will not cease. We are going to go through all kinds of volatile, changing conditions and circumstances in our lives through which we must always be in a place in our heart to which we could say, I am content no matter what the circumstances because I have Christ. He goes on to say, Paul, in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 6, he says this, put this up there. He says, godliness with contentment is of great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and it is certain we will carry nothing out. How profitable for us to live every day aware of this reality. We're not carrying anything in this world with us to the other side. Jesus said it like this. He said, don't heap up treasures for yourself on earth that moth and rust will destroy or that thieves can break in and steal. Instead, heap up for yourself treasure in heaven that moth and rust cannot destroy, thieves cannot break in and steal. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Store up. He says, don't store up treasures in earth, but do store up treasure in heaven. To store up, meaning attach our heart to. To purpose, to accumulate, to build toward, to, to seek out. So if we set our rudder toward anything that we're trying to do of this world and it takes our eyes off of Christ, we have already started to step in the wrong direction. But if we'll focus on heavenly things, the godly things that he's calling us to, he'll provide all the resources. He'll provide everything we need to do the good work that we're called to. We won't be lacking anything in him to pursue the plan that he has for our life. The difference is, is that we just won't be attached to it. It won't have our heart because Jesus has our heart and he's ruling and reigning in our heart. And, and, and we have to learn that all those other things, whether it's the job, the promotion, the income, the money, like it, it, it's just a vapor, man. It's just here today, gone tomorrow. I'm never, we were just recently, this was like, this hit me like a ton of bricks. We recently, Katie had this plan <laughs> where we were gonna get rid of a bunch of things. No, it's was, it was actually really good. Um, she was like, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna go do like a purging party or whatever. And it's like, woo, <laughs> purging party, okay, whatever. Uh, so she's like, we're gonna, every, and there's eight of us in the house. So it says everybody is gonna get rid of one thing that they don't need the first day. And then the second day, you're gonna get rid of two things. And then the third day, everybody's getting rid of three things. And then it just, this happened for a month. 
somehow the law of multiples took over and before it was all said and done, we got rid of like a thousand plus, I don't even remember, thousands maybe of things in the course of the month. Some we threw away, some we gave to charity and did all that. Uh, my house looks so much different now downstairs. It's like, wow, the shelves are bare. Um, but here's the thing that hit me so hard. We're going through all this stuff, trying to figure out what we don't need. And the reality is, is that I became very aware that I didn't need any of this stuff, actually. And I'm looking at things, and I thought, man, that's just really interesting. I don't even care about that thing anymore. I'm going to throw that away, and I'm not even going to lose an ounce of thought over it. But there was a point where I remembered how hard I worked and how much money I paid and how excited I was, and it looked so nice, and I thought I needed it, and it was in that bright, fancy box, and so clean, and so vibrant, and it just made me so happy when I got it, and when I looked at it, and now it's, it's all faded, and cracked, and just looks like an old piece of junk, and it's only been a few years, and it was like God spoke to me and said, moth and rust will destroy everything of this world, which we try to heap up as treasures for ourselves. Focus on heavenly treasure." And I was like, Lord, thank you, you know? And, and you know, I mean, I think probably a lot of us nowadays, is, we're, it's Christmas time, and you probably get, hey, what do you need for Christmas? What do you need for Christmas? And, you know, when we're younger, and we're kids, and we're innocent, we're like, oh, I want this, and I want that, and I want this. And you get older, and you're just like, I don't, I don't know, I don't need anything. I mean, I don't really want anything. I don't need anything, you know? I mean, if somebody did buy me a 12-gauge over or under Benelli shock, I'm not, you know... <laughs> Look, I, I'm not going to return it. That would be rude, okay? I, I'm not going to be rude. But I don't need it. I don't really need anything. I need Christ. And when I have him, I have everything that I need at any given moment and any given day. Praise God for that. And, and, and we see the outcome that discontentment can drive us to when we see the story of Ahab. Poor Nabot, you know, poor guy. I mean, he was at the wrong place at the wrong time. Poor guy had a vineyard and he was killed over it because he wouldn't give it up. But I respect this guy Nabot that scripture says just very little about so much because he had the opportunity to sell out cash in on some money, maybe buy some new things, kind of have a, a, a glorious financial life, whatever it might have been. And the Lord had already spoken, said, don't you dare give this ancestral piece of property away that I've given to your fathers. And Nabot said, I'm sorry, King Ahab, you aren't going to get this one. You have everything you think and you want this, but you're not gonna get your hands on this thing. And in all the stuff that Ahab had, this was the thing, the one little thing for a vegetable garden that he wanted that he couldn't have that pushed him to this place of being willing to commit murder. Did you know the Bible says about Ahab that there were no kings in Israel that committed wicked more in the sight of the Lord than Ahab? And he did a lot of terrible things, but I'll just submit to you that this issue of discontentment, this unmet need, unsatisfied, no matter what power or glory he had, traveled and followed him all the days of his kingship. And it just hunted his trail. And as a result, he found himself getting into all kinds of folly. But folks, let me close by saying this. 
When we think we need more than what we have to do what God is calling us to do or be who God's calling us to be, then we accuse God of being insufficient for us. I know that's a hard thing to hear, but that is really what we're saying. And we all have probably been there. We need to check ourselves when we start to go there that, listen, I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me, but I am content whether I have much or whether I have little. In fact, I would say that sometimes little possessions are really better for us than many possessions. Because the more stuff you have, the more the threat lies for things to take and compete for your heart. If you have things that have got your heart, it's not the things in themselves that are bad. It's, it's the place you're either stewarding them or they're stewarding you. And if you have things and they have your heart, hear me as your pastor, you'd be better off to sell every one of those things and get rid of them right now. It would be better for your soul. And just, and just begin to give stuff away and, and live that way. I, it would be better. That's why the Bible says to him who uh, is faithful in little, he will be faithful in much. And I've heard this so many times. Probably said it myself many times through the years where people say like, man, when I get, when I have, when I possess, then I will do then I will accomplish it's almost like I can't do it right now with what I've got but when I get something I don't have then I'm going to actually be able to really do what God is calling me to do and I'm like too much him is given much is to, to little who, who's faithful a little is faithful with much because too much is given much is required we have to prove that we are trusted and faithful and content with very little before God will continue to pour out the blessings of heaven and increase and expand our influence and our resources so that he can trust us with all those blessings to continue to do his work and not have those things compete and pull at our heart. He knows what we need and he knows what's better for us and he's looking out for us in doing that. And so I think that we need to get to a point where we get used to doing great things with little because it never limited anybody else in the Bible before. God came to Moses and he said, you see that staff? Pick it up and go lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. I'll, I'll deliver them. You just go and be my spokesperson. And Moses is like, whoa, whoa, Lord, like, hold on a second now. I can't talk well. I don't have anything. He's like, pick up the staff. What's in your hand? He says, what's in your hand? Moses says, the staff. Says, pick up the staff and go. I think we just need to realize that God can do great things with very little in our hand if we have a willing heart and we're ready to follow and pursue him. Amen? Amen. Amen. So close with this verse. You can stand to your feet. It says in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 6, godliness with contentment is of great gain. Godliness, the pursuit, you know, of God's plan for us and the works of God and, and just walking out the life that he's called us to. But he says, godliness with contentment is of great gain. Please make note that godliness and contentment are life companions. They walk together. And for us to really do the works that God has called us to, to see things flourish and prosper. Can I tell you this? I fully believe that if you're in the will of God and your heart is right, he will bless whatever you put your hand to. He'll bless whatever you put your hand to doesn't matter if it's a staff a stick 
an acorn. Oh. <laughs> He'll bless whatever you put your hand to if your heart's in the right place and you're willing to pursue him. The key is that we become so satisfied, so fulfilled in Christ and in our relationship with him that we realize every day that we truly have everything that we need. We lack nothing. We are not insufficient. God even had to remind Paul when he asked him, hey, take this thorn out of my side, this out of my flesh, this thing that ails me. God, get rid of it. I don't, know, I don't think it was wrong for Paul to pray for God to take that away, but God's response communicated what his position was. He says, look, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient, meaning you are, your needs are fully met. You have everything that you need in and through me, and you are lacking nothing. God, help us to remember that every single day. Lord Jesus, as we draw close to you and you draw close to us, we thank you, Father, that you satisfy us, that you fulfill us in a way nothing in this world can. As we grow deeper in our relationship with you, that becomes ever more apparent. Become unsatisfied with anything of this world. There's no pleasure to be found in anything that is not of you and that is not that we're not right with you first, God. No lasting pleasure. Hallelujah. Help us, Lord, to travel light, to hold things loosely, and to be good stewards of any resource that you've chosen to bless us with and provide us with at any given moment in any given time. Help us to walk with hearts of contentment. In Jesus' name, amen.